you would please open your Bibles. If you have them, take out your smartphones. If you have your Bible on your smartphone and unlock it. And turn to uh, Matthew chapter 6. Today we're going to start a series on the Lord's Prayer. Um, I hope that you were encouraged over the last few weeks as as Eric uh, was here and Leading you guys through uh, Psalm 23, Eric is a good is a good friend. Um, I hope that you found sweetness and rest and hope in the reality that you have this God who leads you and will not forsake you. And now my hope is that uh, as we turn, as we look at, as we look more into this, um, into the reality of rest and what that means for a church. I hope that uh, the Lord's Prayer just becomes something that's sweet to you. Um, I hope that it becomes something where you're able to lean into the Lord's Prayer and find in it uh, your good Father. That's my hope. That's my goal for the next four weeks. So we'll see if I actually make it or not. I know it's cold, so I'm going to go fast. Let's just hang in together. Listen to the reading of God's Word. You'll find it in your bulletins. Um i got to make sure I usually read out of a different version, so let me get to your version. Here we go. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word. We don't stand out of respect for me, we stand out of respect for God. So uh, listen as he speaks to you. He says this, Therefore you should pray like this, Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's pray together. Uh, Father God, we come to you now and we just pray you would join our hearts together as we hear um, this passage unpacked. Lord, I pray that you would just warm our hearts with affection towards you, that we'd be able to lean into you, God, our Heavenly Father, our good Father, who longs and loves to give us rest and to give us what's good for us. So God, help us to help us to be able to do that. And Lord, um, I pray uh, for any of us here who might be afraid uh, to pray, Lord, that this message today would... Yeah, we just break down those walls of fear so that they would be able to turn to you. Um, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, over the last few weeks, I've really struggled to pray. Actually, it's been for years I've struggled to pray. I shouldn't lie or shape the truth. We just confess the Ten Commandments. Uh, my whole Christian life, I've struggled to pray. Uh, I am, I am. Uh, a lot of times, I, I just go for days on end without praying. Uh, it's not something I'm necessarily proud of. Uh, that's part of confessing, uh, is that when I confess, then it comes out into the light. Um, as a pastor, it's especially weird, right? Because as pastors, we're people who are supposed to be praying people. Um, oftentimes I find myself struggling just to even get the right words out to God. I wonder if you know what that's like. 
Do you know what it's like to just sit there and be like, okay, I know I'm supposed to be praying, but when I pray the way my heart tends to pray, it just sounds like I'm asking God for a bunch of stuff than being like, later, like, see you later, God. Um, and that's it. And it feels shallow. It feels weak. Um, I wonder if you can identify with that. Or I feel like my prayer is forced, right? Um, like, it's just some religious duty that I'm doing. Over and over again, every day, check the box, read my Bible and prayed, yep, I'm a good Christian. I can actually be a pastor today. Check. Um, God's brought me to a point in my walk with Him where um, where I've had to just confront this reality. Um, and so, like I was saying to you, uh, to some of you before the service, uh, this sermon is or this uh, sermon series is just as much for me as it is for you. Um, I'm preaching out in front of myself. We're going to be talking about stuff that I just don't do well, um, and hopefully, in that, we'll all be encouraged to actually rest in the reality. That God doesn't need our good works to make him love us. God doesn't need our fancy prayers so that he'll be moved to act. What God wants from us is simple, trusting, childlike prayer. That's the hope. So let's start to pick it apart. Ed Clowney, a guy who, um, if you've never heard of him before, you've definitely heard him before. Um, he is uh, he is a guy whose uh, whose writings and teachings have influenced uh, pastors all over the world. Uh, he's the guy. If you know of a dude named Tim Keller, he was Tim Keller's mentor. Um, you know another guy named Dennis Johnson, which he was big in this in the Southern California area. He was he was Dennis Johnson's teacher, um, Ed Clowney, a great guy. He says this about the Lord's Prayer: When we're taught to prayer, we're not asked to pray to a distant entity that's disconnected from us. Instead, we're told to talk to our God who loves us. Prayer seeks communion with God. It seeks the Lord. The delight found in His presence is offered to His praise. <laughs> Jesus uh, was giving the Sermon on the Mount. And there's a different version in the book of Luke where the disciples actually ask Him, Lord, how should we pray? <laughs> A really, really straightforward question. How do we pray? Um, and Jesus begins to tell them how to pray, but he starts even before our passage. He starts a little bit, a little bit earlier than that. If you have a Bible, you can look in it. Um, right above it, beginning of Matthew chapter six, he starts by saying, "Hey, look, whatever you do in religious practice towards me, do it in private." Um, and then when he hones in on prayer, he says some people like to stand up in front of other people and pray. This is under the title, How Not to Pray. 
Um, some people like to stand up in front of other people and pray really fancy prayers. I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but this is what I like to call, um, actually this whole section's what I like to call like the prayer group meeting. Like, um, I, w- I grew up in the charismatic church. Uh, that's where I was at. And uh, in prayer group meetings, a lot of people like to get up and pray and use really fancy words. A lot of Presbyterians love to do that, too. Um, And they think that through their fancy words, they think that through standing up, they're going to gain something. And Jesus says, those people, they've already got their reward. The people who do this, who pray in public, in order to have pride of place, you know what I'm talking about, right? In order to be like, yeah, I'm the praying person. Those people have their reward. Now right there, like I see my own heart. (laughs) Um, Here I am, standing here talking to you, right? Um, People look up to you, oh pastor, would you pray for me? And you kind of feel good, right? You're like, yeah, sure, I'll pray for you. Like, I'm pastor. <laughs> Second way he says not to pray is he says, don't pray like the Gentiles. The Gentiles who just babble on and on and on and on and on using mantras or phrases. Kids, if you've ever watched Star Wars, this should lock right into you, right? On Rogue One, you remember the guy who was blind who always said... I'm one with the force, and the force is with me. I'm one with the force, and the force is with me. (laughs) Jesus says, don't pray like that. Like, you're not going to say some magic incantation over and over and over and over and over again in order to get me to actually move towards you. You don't need to do that. We see this a lot. Right? People who think there's a certain way they can phrase their prayer. And if they say that over and over again, then God will move. There's a lot of prayer fads like this. Or if you say this certain prayer, and you say it enough times with enough faith, God will move on your behalf. God's like, nah, don't pray like that. That's not actual kingdom prayer. He says, instead, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven. Second point. As I've been reading through the book of Matthew, I've been just super impressed by Jesus. Um, I don't know if you've ever come to that point where you're just reading, you're like, dude, Jesus, like this guy. Um, he is good good (laughs) I've been so impressed especially by the way Jesus loves children have you ever noticed that have you ever read like just just read through the book of Matthew with that kind of framework how much Jesus is kind towards children um Matthew, right around 16, maybe it's 17, Jesus says, hey, look, if any of you lead a child astray, it probably would have been better for you to have tied a millstone around your neck and thrown yourself into the ocean before you did that. 
Jesus says, let the little children come to me, for to such as these belong the kingdom of God. He says, if you have faith like a child. And then he teaches us to pray. Our Father. Our Father. Um, so often I think that we want to approach God and we don't want to say our Father, but we want to say our Master. And it's true, He is our Master. He's also our Lord. But we want to say that, and in saying that we begin to train our minds that He's not actually our Father, who is also our Lord and our Master. Um, that He's actually just our Master. And then He becomes our slave driver. <laughs> and then our prayers become checklists. Instead of approaching him as our father. Now, I think it's important to say right now, um, at this point, um, this may be actually really hard for some of you to pray. Uh, you, may, you may not have known your dad. Um, you, may, you may have a father who was abusive, um, who took advantage of you. You may have a father who it was angry um, and beat you or yelled at you and demeaned you. So turning to God as your father may be something that's really, really challenging. But um, I want to encourage you, friends. Our father, God, is not like our dads here on earth. Um, even the best of our dads pale in comparison to the goodness of our Father. Our Father who loves us, who cares for us. You know what this is like, right? When you see your dad, if you have a good dad, my dad's a good dad, I love my dad. Um, I long to be with my dad. I long to just kind of like get with him because I know that my dad's going to help me make things better. I know he's going to help me think rationally through my problems. I know that in my dad there's safety and there's rest because my dad is a good father. My dad though, my dad is like a, he's like an old mirror. You ever, you know what, what I mean by that? Like, or like an old window that's, that's just kind of like got a film on it and you can't really see well. My dad is kind of like that, reflecting the image of God, my good father. My good father who always cares for me, who always loves me, who always accepts me, who never keeps me at arm's length, my good father who invites me in and says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. All goodness, all kindness, all mercy, all the riches of God are now yours in Christ because God is your father through the work of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus teaches us to pray. Teaches us to say our. You see that there's a lot of power in that little word. Our. Um, that unites us together. That brings us to see that when we pray our Father, it's not just us. It's everyone here. It's everyone around the world. It's everyone who has ever said our Father. We're united with them in approaching our good dad. Our kind Father. We're made a part of the people of God. Part of His kingdom. He tells us to say, Our Father. Nearness. Kindness. Knowledge. You know, when we pray Our Father, it's kind of like... um, it's kind of like if you've ever seen a dad who can just anticipate what his family needs. <laughs> a dad who can anticipate, who can like walk into the room and be like, oh, something's wrong. Um, I'm going to go press in and find out what's happening. Like a dad who's able to, to actually meet his family's needs, not just physically or monetarily, but meet their needs. Hold on, let me get back to my notes. Meet their needs. It's dangerous dangerous when a preacher's notes fly away. Um, but actually meet their needs emotionally, mentally, psychologically. When we pray our Father, we come to a God who knows all that we need and is willing, is ready and is able to give it. John Calvin, we read a quote by him earlier. I'm going to read a little bit of a longer quote, so just hang on for a second here. Pay attention, this is really, really good. Usually I don't read quotes. This is really good. Um, In fact, God is so kind, I was praying for today and then was reading him this morning before coming here, and this is where I got this quote. Calvin says this, By the great sweetness... Of this name, our Father, He frees us from all distrust. Since no greater feeling of love can be found anywhere else than in the Father, therefore He should not attest to His own, therefore He could not attest to His own boundless love towards us with any surer proof than the fact that we are called children of God. But just as he surpasses all men in goodness and mercy, so is his love greater and more excellent than all our parents' love. Hence, though all earthly fathers should give up all feeling of fatherhood and forsake their children, he will never fail us, since he can't deny himself. Dear friends, when you come to your father, for him to deny his fatherly duty would be for him to deny who he actually is. Let that sink in for a moment. For God to not act in mercy and love and kindness and generosity towards his children would be for God to Stop being God. Our 
Father. Last little bit. Our Father in heaven. Wow. <laughs> God isn't like me. God isn't constrained. There's only so much I can do for my children. I'd love to give them the world. But there's only so much I can do. I'd love to protect them. I'd love to have power to be able to do that. But there's only so much I can do. Your good father. My good father. He's seated in the place of authority from which he can act and give and love freely. You see, friends, Jesus doesn't need our fancy prayers. Jesus doesn't need us to cajole him. God the Father doesn't need us to cajole him by just saying the same thing over and over and over again. Instead, he says, Approach me as your Father, your good Father, who has the will and the authority and the kindness in his heart to act and to answer your prayers. May God make Resurrection OC a church that turns to their loving Heavenly Father in prayer. May He encourage your souls with that this week. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank You so much that we can come to You and call You our Father. Wow, um, what an amazing gift. Uh, your riches for us at Christ's expense so that now we're adopted into your family. Lord, just be with us. Uh, help us to have hearts that are warmed with joy for your work. We pray for the building of your kingdom, for your son's name. Amen. Amen. Um, one of the things that, that uh, like I said, is a little bit weird. In Presbyterianism, we don't normally give testimony. Um, testimony to God's grace. I know you guys have been going through uh, the Shepherd Psalm, and uh, it's beautiful. And so, what I thought would be sweet is over the next four weeks, if we actually heard from different people in the congregation, um, giving testimony to God's grace in their lives as God has led them as their good shepherd. So this week, um, Carl's going to start us out, and then uh, and then we'll see where we go from there. So Carl, come up, give us your testimony, brother. Thank you. Thank you so much, Joel, for that introduction. Uh, I want you to, when you, when you think about, when you hear my testimony, I want you to think about the principle how God controls history. He controlled, he controlled my life and many other lives around me uh, to eventually call me to Him. So uh, the principle is God used people in places to orchestrate His calling to Him. So uh, it, it came down to a small time, I'm going to jump, a small period when I became convicted of the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. And I'll, I'll lead you down to that path. So it all starts with Maureen. When she was uh, seven years old at the Catholic Church, she... Uh, she lay down just like the priests do, arms out, prostrate, and gave her life to Christ. And that story always resonated with me as she told me that. 
she grew up Catholic. She uh, she realized at some point she wanted to go to a secular engineering school. She wanted to be a chemi chemical engineer. Uh, and it's funny how God ordained that I went to the same school that she did. God ordained the, that we were both close, lived close to one another. She uh, she was in Philadelphia. I was on the other side of the tracks in the suburbs, like this. We were on the same public bus route. God ordained it that there was a, a gas crisis. I built an electric car and I drove that electric car for, for five years, but, but I would take the same bus route that she was on. And the buses went every 10 minutes. Every, so it was totally random, random God, that I would happen to sit next to her one time on the bus. And then you end up with 45 minutes of sitting next to somebody. You just can't, like, it's awkward to get up, <laughs> get up and move. So we would meet each other randomly on the bus, going and coming. It was, it was, it was, it was great. So we got to slowly know one another. Well, right after school, we got married. We got married in the Catholic Church by a Catholic priest and a Lutheran pastor. Right? Little sparks were flying here and there <laughs> across the altar, but it worked. It worked out great. Um, so we moved to Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, and all this time I grew up uh, in, and I, it was 52 weeks in a year, I had at least 40, 45 good excuses not to go to church when I was growing up, uh, so I'd always be hanging out with my father in the garage, working out, doing, uh, working on cars, working on machines, so... I had a bunch of good excuses for not going to go into church, so I didn't grow up really in the church well. Although I was uh, a fairly good Lutheran um, servant, I guess. Uh, but anyway, so I grew up. Then uh, we we but I knew we we went to Catholic church all the time, every after getting married. Once after we moved to Valley Forge. Once the pastor said to the ladies with little kids that were making a lot of noise, "Hey, why don't you know you guys with little children? You should, you should stay at home." Well, that didn't go over very well with Maureen because here she is. She's the she always took her Bible with her, and so that kind of didn't sit well. So my my brother happened to marry a very believing uh, lady. Uh, how God ordained that, and she suggested to us that we go to the church that her Sunday school teacher was the pastor of now, Grace Bible Church. Nice Bible-believing church. We, I, we went there, and now we're getting, you know, so I, I love the way God ordains all that. So we're going to this new location, we're at a Christmas party. And my Sunday school teacher asked me, Carl, do you know where you're going when you die? I mean, somehow I was sitting down on the sofa next to Maureen and he asked me this question just point blank. And kids, the wrong answer to this is, I think I'm going to heaven. <laughs> That's the wrong answer. 
Because the answer is, you know you're going to heaven. But I didn't know I was going to heaven. I said, I think I'm going to heaven. And he said, well, why do you think you're going to heaven? I said, well, I've been a good person, and, and I've done, I've obeyed my parents, and I've done all the things I'm supposed to do. Well, <clears throat> I think that was the point at which I was quickened. The Holy Spirit at that point, I think, quickened me right there. Because it was like the next two weeks in a row at church, the pastors, like there's maybe 300 people in the, the congregation, the pastor goes and he says, if you've ever lied, um, you're not going to heaven. You know, he, he set me up. He was like talking about, just like we talked about it, whatever you've done this or done this, if you've ever lied, you're not going to heaven. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I thought I was going to heaven. And then it was a long pause, and he says, without putting your faith in Jesus Christ, because he died for the, on the cross for you. And then that, that long pause was like, oh, phew, okay, but have I done that? I don't think I've done that. So that happened two weeks in a row, and right after that second week, I got down in my bedroom, closed the door, knelt next to my bed, and I said, dear father, I'm all yours. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. I'm whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Uh, I'm like, I'm yours forever. And that's that's the point where I made that that decision. But of course, God made the decision for me. It was really easy. I got up from my bed, next to my bed, and I started serving Him. So, I just wanted this. I'm, I'm done. The principle is that God who controls history also controlled my life and the lives of many people around me uh, to eventually call me to him. So thank you for your attention.